Hey, what's up? It's Andy from Blackville Bronze, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Hey, this is Wednesday 13, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. episode 459 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 459, we are joined by Andrew Ferris. Andrew um, rose to prominence as one of three Ferris brothers in the band In Excess, Australia's one of the most successful acts of Ross Australia. Uh, he's also in the Australian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Um, my argument he's soon to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here in the United States as well. Very well deserved. A huge uh, selling band in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the band um, kind of dissolved. Andrew uh, made an EP uh, back in 2020, uh, but he has released his first full-length album, uh, which is a really cool kind of an Americana slash country album, I would say. Uh, but if you've ever watched or listened to In Excess, you know there are a million different influences in their music. Uh, a lot of soul, um, great songwriting. So really was uh, interested in the listen to the album and then had a chance to talk to Andrew about the album and was even more interested to go back and listen to the album, listening to uh, the stories he's going to tell us. So I'm going to play you a little bit of the first single, Run Baby Run, in just a moment. Also joining us on the show in just a little bit, Robert Barry rejo- uh, returns to the show. Robert? I was in the band three. Um, he was a guest on the show back in 2018 when he released the first 3.2 album uh, and talked to us about that. We're going we're gonna to revisit 3.2 and talk about their new album. So uh, until then, we're going to uh, listen to Run Baby Run from Andrew Ferris. We're going to talk to Andrew. A million miles an hour Flying to the sun Chasing down forever Run, baby, run
Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to the show Andrew Ferris. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm excellent, John. I'm above ground and I'm happy. Hey, that is the absolute best way to be. Um, it is an absolute thrill to get a chance to talk to you. Obviously, you were one of the, the cornerstones in main songwriters in excess, one of my personal favorites. Um, but you've got an incredibly cool new uh, your debut full-length record. I had an EP out um, earlier, but really excited to get a chance to talk to you about that album. You've got a concert out on YouTube, so you're kind of a busy man. Um, so let's start with, you know, obviously people in the United States knew you from the rock star uh, Supernova TV show in excess, but you know, there's kind of a period of time where we didn't hear your name. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what led you back to kind of into the music business, kind of full time, you know, putting out an album and, and you know, back on the radar? Yeah. Uh, well, I've always been a songwriter, mm-hmm. and that's the main thing I'm known for in the music business and industry is that I write songs and mainly the main body of work that I did for most of my life was writing for and with in excess mm-hmm. and we had an amazing career experience together right. and you mentioned a little bit of it just then but it really was uh, something that it gave us a lot of international big hits and we've stayed on a lot of contemporary radio stations all around the world for many right. years that I, I hugely appreciate. I miss the guys in the band. Uh, I don't, or we don't, fortunately have, you know, issues with each other that some other bands in the end get. Sure. We don't have that. I got two brothers. I really miss them. I like those guys. And in excess, are an awesome bunch of musicians. I mean, they really are. Uh, you know, I know what they're, they're capable of because I, I played with them and I, I understand how talented they are. Hmm. Um, but when it comes to me. Uh, like I said, I've always been a songwriter and how my journey started with making an album is actually I didn't start out making an album. Uh, my wife, Mylena, comes from Dayton in Ohio. Okay. And uh, that's about five and a half, five hours drive or something down Highway 75 to Nashville from where her family lived. And um, we started going to Nashville and I, you know, in the old days in excess that was part of our touring, you know, uh, so, it was another town if you like, you know. Yeah. Um, but, this time around, I started going there, A, because I've always been a fan of country music, especially me being a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was very curious to go there and see what it would be like to write with folks there, both girls and guys. And that's what started to happen to me. I started working with these people, and, you know, just the talent pool in that town is almost frightening. Um, we good. Um, and I recognized pretty early, you know, when I first started going there, that this is really good for me because I'm getting re-excited again about music and writing and all that stuff. But not only that, is I have, like I said, always been a songwriter and I've had songs, that are, uh, demos, you know, that I've written right. from a, quite a long time ago and then some other songs I've written quite recently. And I, I started to re-record them because I, I was happy with the songs. I just wasn't happy with the recordings. They weren't very good quality. And if I was co-writing the songs, it could be another girl or a guy that was actually singing the lead vocal. And it was very confusing. I wasn't quite sure what to do with all these songs. So um, I started re-recording them, both uh, at my farm where I live out back in Australia. Uh, I live out in, in the middle of nowhere uh, on a cattle and grains property that I've owned for many years now. 
And so in that sense, I really am a cowboy. You know, yeah. I ride horses. You know, I, seriously, I ride a hat. I work with cattle. You know, I get it. Um, and it's all real. Um, and it's a fairly big farm that I'm on. And, uh, you know, I bought it at the height of in excess of success because I felt very disconnected from nature and from reality. I was living out of hotel rooms and riding around doing crazy things. And we worked in 52 different countries as a band. Uh, you know, I lived in Europe for nearly five years. All these experiences led me when I went to Nashville. You know, I started re-recording all these songs. And, well, my wife, Marlena, and I decided to take a holiday uh, out from what I was doing in Nashville. And we went down to the Mexican border. And uh, I thought it was going to be like a pony ride uh, thing. You know, you go back to a swimming pool and there's girls in bikinis with tequila shots or something. I didn't know what the I didn't know what was going to happen. You know. Anyway, I, that's not what happened at all. Uh, what happened was we got down there and the uh, the wrangler, the cowboy guy, Craig Lawson, uh, who very sadly has passed away now. Well, he he and his wife Tam, they gave myself and my wife Marlena an education on the Chiricahua Mountains area right on the Mexican border where Arizona meets New Mexico and there's a little town along there called Portal and that kind of thing and Rodeo and all that well anyway all of this area I didn't realize the history of it quite as much as what I recognized when I got there that the Chiricahua Mountains of course was the original home for the Apache Indians and it was also the U.S. cavalry, uh, you know, uh, and obviously the Mexican people across the border. And then in the old days, you had the Mexican army. And then up the up the roadways, up the trail there was uh, Tombstone. And then you had all the cowboys. You had uh, um, you had the uh, outlaws, and you had the settlers, and all this tumultuous stuffs going on. And it, it is still a wilderness area along Highway 80, along this area. And that's the part that took me by surprise. I thought I was going to get there. It was going to be like a Disney thing where, you know, yeah. you have tours and all this kind of stuff. That's not what happened at all. What happened was we rode horses for six days straight in this wilderness area. And, if, you know, six days straight for six hours a day. And Craig gave me, a, you know, a first-hand, up-close education with that area. And, you know, we were literally riding through canyons uh, where there was still stagecoach routes in the ground, like there was, and you could tell there was no modern vehicles had been through there. It wasn't like car tire tracks or anything. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly I, I was really affected with this area, where it stopped becoming a Hollywood film and it started turning very, very real as we were riding around. And I began to draw similarities between the area and parts of regional and outback Australia are very, very similar. You know, it has this gritty, dusty reality to it. Um, and the history, and some of it in that area is very, very sad uh, in that area too. You know, there, there's pioneer cemeteries and, you know, we, we wandered around. We saw places like where Geronimo's grandson is buried. We saw where Geronimo surrendered. We rode up the top of uh, Cochise's stronghold where you could stand right there, up there in the mountains. And he was very, very, very clever the way he could see the U.S. Cavalry coming out from Fort Bowie towards where they were in, up in the stronghold. And he was smart. He was ahead of the game the whole time. And all that reality, when I, I, I you know, it took a lot to absorb it at first of what we were actually doing. But the songwriter part of me began to kick in 
you know, and I thought, this is incredible as I'm riding around doing all this. And I was meeting, you know, some of the local wranglers that work out on the properties or in the area. And again, I was struck with the similarities between, you know, the people who live out, out back where I live and, and the people who are ranchers, as you say, or farmers out in the areas, you know, like, like I am and out where I am. And I suddenly thought, this is amazing. You know, there's so many cultural similarities between all of this. And of course, amongst all of this, they had friends, Craig and Tam, who were, who were just cowboy guys and they'd sit around at night. We'd play acoustic guitars and, when I went back to Nashville, something had changed in me. Because um, I, I recognize in Nashville that that's a town that understands the whole, you know, let's write a song and have a chart hit thing. They get right. that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, big time. And I recognize it from my career within Excess. I, even though I was, we were doing, as a band, rock and funk and pop music, whatever we were doing, and experimenting all the time. And one of the things I like about in Excess, we used to experiment a lot. But the thing is, when I got back to Nashville, I started thinking about my recordings I was talking about earlier that I've been making, mm-hmm. and um, I suddenly went from just making you know recordings of of older songs and newer songs. I suddenly thought, what would happen if I started to just write about the things that I've just seen and done in real time and write you know r- what about the old West? Why don't I why don't I actually make an album? that's like country and western or even older than that it's like uh you know uh culturally older than that uh think about using old school instruments wherever possible instead of electronics uh and try to try to to sort of i don't know how suddenly i I felt like i knew what to do i suddenly understood if i was going to make an album now i know what i want to do yeah Yeah, that's interesting to, to listen to you kind of you're almost describing the spark of creativity, but then the the effort to make it authentic, which you know I think is comes through in the music where you can you can feel that this isn't just you know as you mentioned a guy who did electronic music and, and funk and rock and pop trying to make a country record because we've we've heard that from other artists you know try to go through and just say okay you know country selling better than rock is now I better switch gears you can honestly say you know. There are artists that have tried to make that transition, but when you listen to the type of music, you know you can feel the grit in the music, and that's it's really fascinating to hear you tell the story. You know, not only listening to the album telling the story, but listening to you tell the story that inspired the album. That's thank you. The, yeah, um, I mean, I yeah. The the use of uh, like when you would write, do you, do you like? As you were out, you know, amongst this, did you take little notes or anything in your phone or just kind of make mental snapshots of, you know, things to kind of take back, you know, to spark songs? Well, yeah. I mean, I, like, for example, you know, we were riding our horses through Apache Pass uh, and, you know, you dismount uh, near one of the cavalry uh, abandoned forts. And then you dismount your horse, and you're you're standing there, and there's literally lead bullets in the in the gully, you know, in the creek. And he sort of, to me, they weren't so much, you know, like me taking notes as I just these things were becoming physically tangible in this area, and I, right. and it was something that affected me. And at night, you know, especially, I'd go back, 
and we were in this stone cabin on one the one of the sides of the mountain there and there was a big like howling wind one night and the stone cabin would have easily been maybe 150 maybe 200 years old and it suddenly hit me you know like where is the frontier gone now what what is a frontier what is that exactly and it struck me that someone could have been sitting just like I was in this stone cabin with a fire going and had maybe acoustic guitar or a fiddle or something yeah. and that was your entertainment before electricity you know what I mean and then I started thinking more and more about it and I thought and that's like the farm that I live on in Australia has a lot of history too it it goes back to about well in Australian sense it is old back to about 1845 and you know they, they used to have about a hundred people who would cook and and live out and, and, and camp out, you know, and, and cowboy with, with, with cattle out there and do all sorts of things. And there was bush rangers too that, that actually visited my property. They had a shootout in, in the little town near where it is and that there's still bullet holes in the doors. And if you see what I'm saying, I suddenly recognized the similarities of all these cultures. So I thought, well, again, you know, suddenly I knew how to, to write the lyrics because I thought, you know, I don't want to just put an album out with my name on it. Sure, I can come up with, you know, maybe 10, you know, catchy tunes and throw it all together. But suddenly I went, I, you know, I, I don't want to do that. that. Why would I want to do that? You know, I, that doesn't sound exciting to me. What I'd really love to do is to encourage other people to understand what it is I'm trying to do. And that's exactly what happened. My wife, Marlena, she suddenly realized what I was trying to do. And she's helped me hugely. We got... She got a genius artist on board, uh, uh, Kiki Kiana, who designed the artwork on my vinyl, for example, mm -hmm. and other parts of the artwork I've been doing, as well as the photography by Chris Banks, uh, the photographer. They're, they're both Americans, by the way, and they, they helped as well. And once they got the picture, other people started to get the picture and with what I was doing, and so I steered more and more and more of the creative end of it you know, towards having lyrics on my album that all flow in and out of each other you know some of the song titles on, on my record are things like bounty hunter hummingbird well a bounty hunter is chasing someone because they're trying to maintain their freedom and a hummingbird is the little the smallest bird in the world but it can get up above people like a drone and it can observe it doesn't judge it just observes and then the same with uh the song drifting towards the end of my record has a lot to do with other songs on my record like um uh, run baby run uh, that's a song about freedom you know we, we're, we're living in in times where suddenly these words like freedom and liberty and these kind of words you know they were fought for by people in the right. old older times you know and but the words have become almost like cliches like in a in a in a, in a tv advertisement you know right. but for people who lived in especially in the years before electricity those words were very, very real, you know, and they 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 were very uh, passionate about those sort of things. I mean, most of the frontiers that exist today seem to me to be technical. They're electrical frontiers, you know, technology driven. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Was was it liberating as a as a songwriter to kind of go into this project without the pressures of, of maybe outside? record executives and our people you know kind of breathing down your neck I have to assume you know in 1990 Andrew Ferris has some pressure to create hits 
um, you know, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I imagine inside the confines of what NXS had become and the success that there was expectation. Was this easier, or I should say more liberating, you know, maybe more pleasurable to kind of sit down and, and put these songs together for that reason? Definitely. And I, at first, I thought it was a, 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 a humongous roadblock, okay? Like, because mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get any traction. People like, hey, you're an old dude and you're trying to make this weird record. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, get a life, man. You know, like, uh, and I was like, but I had passion and belief in what I was doing. And, you know, and thank God so did my wife. She understood exactly what I was trying to do. And I, I don't want to chase a train. You know, I, I, I've already, you, you just said it right. You know, when, when you said I was under pressure in the old days, and so was the whole band, but especially sure. myself as a main songwriter, along with Michael Hutchins. We were both under extreme pressure from record labels. And there's, just like any big band, there's a gravy train of people that depend on you to keep Certainly. doing what you're doing. Otherwise, they don't, they can't feed their families. And, and so sometimes, you know, unfortunately, they'll even create problems just so that you've got to keep going to do mm-hmm. it, you know. And, and I, I didn't have any of that. As I went in to do this, it was just all really art and music driven. And I now am really grateful that I didn't have a label on board at the very beginning at all. They didn't want to know about me. Uh, they thought I was kind of weird, you know. Um, and I said, no, I look, I, you know, they're, they're like, you know, this isn't modern country. You know that, don't you? And I said, yes, I'm very aware of that, you know. Um, that's not what I'm trying to do, you know. Um, and if, if, you know. Uh, and But what happened was I actually took, you know, when I started shooting videos, which actually started uh, in... Uh, Arizona um, around the Chiricahua Mountain area <coughs> and that video hasn't come out yet but you know when I started doing all this um, then I began to realize that it had a very procured and stylized look to everything everything the photography the artwork the vinyl uh, the music the lyrics the I mean and then I started thinking well you know this could be exciting because when I go out on stage, I could do theaters, you know, like, like a small theater that's a hundred years old and has some character in the building. Yeah. And then the people could come along and dress like, you know, if they wanted to dress up a bit and have some fun with clothes, you know, this thing could actually go somewhere if I, so I took it back to the record label and and the guy was in shock. He said, what's this? I said, I showed him, I showed him the videos and the, artwork and the photography and the music and the lyrics and he goes I, I, I can't believe how this is all so interconnected and I said well that's what I'm doing you know and then they got it and they said we want it you know and I'm like okay alright you know yeah, <laughs> you, know? yeah. You, had to, you had to paint the picture first for them to understand your vision and that's you got it man but you're right it, it does have uh, you know this kind of entity to itself that, that, that really makes it fascinating you know it's a you know not visually you know the artwork on the album i'm glad you mentioned the art the artwork on the the picture disc lp for you know those listening is is beautiful i mean that's a that's a really cool thing and i invite everyone to check out your website and get a copy of that before it's before it's gone because that i think that you know regardless of what the record sounds like it looks really cool so but then you put the needle on the record and it, it you know it really 
livens up. So that's a that, that's a really cool, you know, the 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 360 degrees of of the project. Yeah, well, and I I thank other people for coming on board, other artists, you know, and 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 including my wife, you know, she once she got the idea of where this thing was heading it became quite exciting for the two of us because then we were able to to be able to look at making you know videos with steam trains and and vaudeville characters and you know like and someone i think it was you know might have been john lober from broken bow records there in nashville he was smiling almost laughing when he saw the video he goes man you know, I can't believe what I'm watching. It's like watching a film. And I said, well, it's because that everything is in character. You know, like everything to do with the project is in character. There's no, like, random thing going on. It's all deliberate, you know. And I think that's, you know, I, I've been really, you know, quietly excited because I've had really great reviews both here in Australia and in England and Canada and now the U.S. And I, I'm feeling like a, a people... I think people have gotten so used to, to, I don't know how to put it, that it's like, especially with radio, radio is so used to, um, you know, flogging certain things for, for reasons which I'm not quite sure why they're doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not sure, even if, if sometimes I'm not even sure if radio is really giving the people the music they really want anymore. I don't know what's going on, you know? Yeah, I, I I know. I was listening to a station the other day, and this is just kind of a you know the irony of it. They were talking about uh, Edward Van Halen's son is putting out an album later this month, and was talking about how great the single was, and then said, "And here's his father," and went on to play "You Really Got Me" from Van Halen. Like, you know, sometimes I don't think radio stations want to give even artists, you know. They can say a song is great, but then they're going to drop the, the the totally predictable Van Halen song that you expect to hear on that radio station, and it, you know, and it is frustrating, you know. And I think, it, especially in America, it's terrible in that regard, where you, you're there's a format they're going to play the songs in the format, and you know, it doesn't even matter if if a band that's in that format makes a new record, it's not going to get played. You know, we're going to play the Rolling yeah. Stones from 1965 to 1983, and that's it. You know, they could make the greatest record, you know, the like the blues album that they did or, or whatever. We're not going to play that. We're going to play Satisfaction, just because that's the form. Yeah. You know, and I, I think of it, <laughs> an artist such as yourself, where you, you, it's one of the things I love is that you went in a totally different direction from what made you famous, because it's so often, you know, musicians get typecast, you know. If you had made you know, an album similar to, you know, Elegantly Wasted, you know, I think people would have expected that, you know, and it would have sounded like you were trying to hang on to something maybe. Um, But, you know, the direction you went, the inspiration, I think, is really what's exciting about it, to hear you talk about the passion you had for the project as opposed to just trying to crank out 12 songs to, you know, to put on a disc or to put on a Spotify download. Um, Exactly. Well, I, you know, John, like I said earlier, I, I literally got on a horse and rode off into the old west. Yeah. You know, like I, 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 I didn't stick to those, those, those formulas and things. 
And I, I have no disrespect towards In Excess of what we did together. Mm-hmm. I'm in awe of what we did together. You know, we worked yeah. in 52 countries, and we have massive hits and did all this stuff. But I feel like, you know what, I love that that we did that, but that's not what I'm doing now, and it's not right. what I want to do in the future. Like, I, you know, if, if I, I, won't, I won't ever say never, say never. Like, the, if the band wants to do something again one day, yeah, I'll think about that. I like those guys. Yeah. It's not that. It's just that what I'm doing now really has nothing to do with that and and that's cool for me like i i don't i don't mind and if people don't even get what i'm doing i don't mind that either i'm just enjoying myself and i'm being really selfish and i'm just having fun and that i think you've just encapsulated what makes the record so fantastic is that as a listener you take that away from it it doesn't sound for synthetic phony um whatever word you want to use it's genuine even if it's you know, maybe not your cup of tea. You're not, you know, people are maybe only a little too country or too a little too this, a little too that, whatever. But it's authentic. And I think if you strip away and, and just forget the notion of it's in this style of music or that style of music and listen to it, the authenticity comes through. And that's what makes it special. You know, and that's that's what I love. You know, is when Thank an you. artist pours his heart Thank into you. something. Um, I have to ask, I watched not, not long ago the, the live, Baby Live, you know, when you guys remastered and redid the whole packaging yeah, yeah. of yeah. that. Is there a, an upper bound to the number of instruments you can play? Because I, I watched you on that night, and you just, instrument after instrument, you play the keyboard, the guitar, you know, the maracas, <laughs> you know. Did, yeah. Did the, did the well, mom and dad Ferris make you guys take lessons from, like, a very, very early age? Well, no, actually, uh, that story you might find interesting where um, my dad, or our dad, because of my brothers, my older brother, Tim, myself, Andrew, my younger brother, John, uh, you know, uh, we were born in Perth in Western Australia, and Mm -hmm. that city, for listeners who may not know this, is the most remote geographical city in the world. There is is no more, uh, you know, uh, geographically... Place, city than Perth and so when we were growing up as kids there was always a lot of desert and space around us um, but my dad had been in the Royal Navy and he uh, he hadn't been back to see his parents or my grandparents uh, for 15 years because in those days you know after World War II and into the 50s People didn't fly everywhere in jets. A, they couldn't afford it, and B, that the technology didn't really exist to fly around to the other side of the world like that. You know, so you got on a ship. So he put myself and my two brothers on a on an old rusty ocean liner, and we spent three weeks going to uh, London, up including up through the Suez Canal, mm-hmm. where they just removed a huge container ship out of. Oh, that's and, good to um, hear they got that out finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, but when we got to London, uh, you know, us kids, you know, uh, Dad thought it might be fun for us to go to this variety television show because he knew someone that was connected with it or whatever. So we went along there, and the, and the Beatles walked out and played. Uh. That was the first band I ever saw. And I was sitting there, and I looked at my brothers, and I went, "What is this?" <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and you know, and then. Yeah, and then later on, my dad, Dennis, he said, because my elder brother Tim and I were talking to him, we're saying, Did they, that, that actually happened, was that real? Did we do that? And he said, yeah, damn right you did. And he said, 
also you were standing there talking to them afterwards I'm like we were he said yeah that was friendly and I'm having a chat with you guys and I'm going like that's kind of surreal right there and then um, but what I'm saying is when you're talking about all these instruments and things I think that was a major button that got pushed in the three of us without even subconsciously realizing it you know consciously realizing it it was a subconscious thing definitely and you know I think for the three of us we suddenly all three of us started taking a lot of interest in playing instruments and I think that had a lot to do with it and I think then for me as a multi-instrumentalist I've always seen my role you know when, when I was within excess is I, I wasn't in my mind just a keyboard player I was a songwriter I was a mm -hmm. guitar player I could play a bit of bass I played you know percussion uh, I play harmonica I'd play whatever instrument synthesizer whatever it was whatever instrument it was that we needed the band had a hole and we needed to get another player in I would try to fill that hole as a player and that's what I used to do I, I was a jack of many trades in yeah. NXS and and I recognized when I came to make my own album you know that I almost had to do the opposite when I came to make my album that's the other reason why it doesn't sort of sound like NXS is because I had to stop myself I had to bite my lip and kind of chain myself to a telegraph pole to stop myself playing too much all over it. I actually encouraged other musicians to play on my record because I knew that they would bring their own personalities and their own, you know, excitement and their, their take on my songs. I knew that they would bring it with them because of their own personalities. That's one of the great things about humans who still play music. Yeah. Uh, and old school instruments as opposed to pushing buttons on a laptop right. you know I call that IT you know? could IT, you, you know? do you think as a musician say 30 years ago you could have you know if someone said to you you know from the label you know we want you to make an Andrew Ferenc album in 1994 could you as a musician have been able to let go of that reign you know because I think a lot of people think okay it's a solo album He's a guitarist, piano player, bass player. You know, if someone gave him a bass yeah. drum on his foot, he could be a one-man band, and, and that's what we're hearing. <laughs> is that is that something that's a little bit, you know, took some maturity, you know, to, to be able to get yeah. to that comfort level? Yeah. Well, you 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 you're you're right on the same railroad track as me now, where it's so strange. So many people have said to me, "Why, after all these years, did you decide to put out a solo album?" And I said, because I never knew how to make it. You know, I never mm -hmm. knew what to do. And I didn't, why would I want to compete with In Excess? There's a great band, and they're my brothers and my friends. Yeah. You know, why would I want to go do my own thing? And also, you're right. You know, I, I, I think if I'm really, I'm really glad I never made an album years ago because I think it would have been really confusing to people now as well when I'm, I'm seriously interested and, and, and my heart is involved mm -hmm. in the country and well country and western but folk music genre I'm seriously invested in it now I, 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 I feel a part of that community uh, both in Australia and in the United States and Canada I've been sort of welcomed by people in that community and it surprised me because I, I you know at first I'm like you, you, you sure you want me involved yeah <laughs> you know you're kind of letting the dog in the door here, you know. Like, you know, they're like, "No, no, come on, come on in, man." I'm like, "Okay, all right." Um, always, one person said, "Welcome to the dark side." They said to me, "I'm saying, you know," and I think, 
as a songwriter, I think the lyrical aspect of country music and folk music and yeah. all of that is, is, yeah, as a writer, it really, really engages me. Like it's got me, it's got me here. Yeah, that that is it is a it is a different certainly a style of writing and uh, you know it, it's a little more of a narrative I think you know when you think of country I mean some modern country or you know some of the stuff you hear at the top of the charts not necessarily withstanding but you know when you think of country as a genre you know I think there's a, there's an element of storytelling there that uh, you know I think fits very well with with kind of the the scope of what you're trying to do with this album. You know, and, and but it's not, you know, you listen to it, it, it doesn't remind you of, of, you know, maybe early '80s country, which I think turned a lot of people off, you know, when it got a little bit, you know, a little too twangy um, for people. But I think, you know, yours has got an, uh, you know, it's ironic to say, but it, you know, a sprinkling in of a, Americana kind of folk music in it as well, um, that I think really makes it much more um, appealing. You know, to fans, and I, I think. It, Thank it, you. Well, well, well. Also, those instruments that came from Europe into the United States and Canada and Australia. You know, that part of the history is all connected with the old West, and by that, mm-hmm. what I mean is, not only did they bring the fashions, the clothing fashions, and a lot of people think, oh, you know, a cowboy hat. Well, actually, they used to be flat brimmed. And that was because to get maximum sun off your face, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't have skin cancer creams and all that stuff back then. Sure. And also, you could you could feed your you could feed your horse or water your horse with it. And cowboy boots weren't designed necessarily for fashionable reasons. They were originally cavalry that came from the cavalry, and the whole idea was you wore them on the outside of your breeches so that the inside of your thigh. And, and down on your calf didn't get rubbed raw by by the leather on a, on a saddle had nothing to do with fashion and all that stuff and I think that part of it to me is the same with the instruments the instruments that came out from Europe were classical instruments like a violin became a fiddle and uh, an upright piano became suddenly was in a saloon bar and then you had all these you know you're right and, and you had all these instruments that were coming in pre-electricity and were forming uh, you know as you do with with people were starting to write songs about and, and and music in 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 the cultures of these new what I call new cultures like Australia like America like Canada they they were new cultures they weren't old cultures like Europe you know and and that's where that there's a similarity that runs between Australian country music and American country music and Canadian country music because of our similarities with our cultural backgrounds you know yeah yeah, I mean it is. It's amazing when you when you think about it, the out outback, and as you were talking about, you know, your your travels in the Southwest. You know, you could almost close your eyes and visualize very similar terrains and surroundings, and that that does. You know, it's 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 a really cool mosaic. Uh, Andrew, I want to thank you so much for your time. The debut album is available now. Also, I'd be remiss not to mention Love Makes the World. The EP is also available on your website. Um, you've got the performance of the EP on your YouTube channel. It's been there for about a month now. Uh, folks want to check that out. Um, it's probably even stupid to ask, but any thoughts of hitting the road at this point, or is, are you in kind of a wait-and-see mode? Oh, look, uh, you know, I'm doing some shows right now uh, around what one of our states here in Australia called New South Wales, and I, I had a whole national tour planned, 
but you know that's heading south now as we speak because yeah. you know we've we've had outbreaks of COVID again here, and the government you know is trying to keep everybody safe and whatever sure. they're all trying to do, and they keep shutting things down. Well, you know it's really hard to plan a tour when when the plan keeps changing. People keep changing the goalposts. Yeah. They don't know where to kick the football. You know, uh, and that's making it really tricky to get out and let, and let alone. Um, you know, my wife, Marlena, she's, like I said, from the U.S. She wants to get home and see her family, and so do I. I want to see her family and our friends over in the U.S., and we can't leave until we sort all this crazy pandemic stuff out, you know. But I, I really appreciate you talking to me today, yeah. John, and I, I hope you stay well and um, safe travels. And uh, here's, here's something. Keep your eyes fixed where the trail meets the sky, okay? Beautiful. Andrew, thank you so much. I, I do appreciate your time. It's been a great pleasure. been a big admirer of yours for more years than I think either one of us want to, want to think about. You've been doing this, but, man, it's it's fantastic stuff, and, and I, I love it. So thank you very much. All right. Take care. Now. All right. A giant thank you to Andrew Ferris. Again, the album is available now. Uh, you can get it on andrewferris.com. I'll be looking for him to do some shows. Um, be great to see him in the United States. Um, really been a big admirer, as I said in the interview of their music for a long time. Had an opportunity to watch the remastered Live Baby Live a DVD of um, that in excess uh, of the show they did on the X Tour in Wembley Stadium. And to watch Andrew, um, I think there probably wasn't an instrument outside of saxophone and drums that he didn't play during that show. So it was really impressive to watch. To turn our attention now to a, a gentleman who's been on the show before, Robert Barry, vocalist, bassist, a producer. Um, he was in a band called Three with Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer. Um, so you can automatically kind of infer the level of musician Robert is uh, by the company he keeps. Uh, obviously, the band had uh, just one album, and uh, Keith Emerson passed away uh, several years ago, and Robert took the uh, music uh, to kind of keep the spirit alive and redid some songs that he and uh, Keith had worked on together. He actually played Keith's parts. That was 3.2. Uh, they released, He released that album. And that album was called The Power of Three. Fast forward to 2021. Uh, we have Third Impression by 3.2, which features... The one additional song that was not available or not able to fit on that, uh, and then uh, some other songs that that Robert did that are in the same vein uh, is is what he and Keith and um, Robert did, or Carl. I'm sorry. Um, we're gonna play a little bit of of the first single. It's called "A Fond Farewell." We're gonna get into that interview with Robert Barry.
Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome Fire Today Rocks. We have Robert Berry on the line. How are you doing today, Robert? I'm good, John. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, you have a new 3.2 album out. Um, we spoke, it's, it's been almost two years since you and I spoke about yeah. uh, the 3.2 album you had done. Um, and it's great to, to, for this music to be getting out there. I think a lot of people... Um, you know, appreciate the the love and the passion you're putting into this, and the, kind of the tribute to the band. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know where these particular songs were, how you kind of came about um, putting this yeah, together I, in I, now? Just a, the quick version of how it got to today. 
1987, Keith Emerson, Carl Palmer, and myself started a band called Three, and I was the voice and half the songwriter. Keith was the sound and half the songwriter, and Carl, of course, is a dynamic drummer. Mm-hmm. He was the drummer who played with all four limbs, doing incredibly individual stuff. We talked about drums a little bit earlier, but yeah. that guy is really something. Each hand is like having two hands, you know. And yeah. Keith Emerson's the same way. The way he played with two hands, it would take two keyboard players to do what he did. Yeah. But so we started. We toured. We had a top ten song. Um, Carl didn't get criticized because he had been in Asia playing, you know, uh, AOR songs with some progressive music in it. Keith got criticized because he had never done that, and Keith was susceptible to criticism. So he broke up the band, even though we had a top ten song. Twenty-seven years later, a record company put out a live in Boston uh, album of three playing back in 1988, and Keith and I and Carl, we all got a copy, and Keith basically signed off just thinking, well, it's a little bit of money I'll put in the bank. Yeah. But when he heard it, he immediately called me, so excited, he goes, we were such a great band, I just, I just had no idea. So I took that opportunity to say 27 years later, how about we do a follow-up? And he said, maybe. So I got us a deal with the record company, been bugging me for years, frontiers, to do a follow-up. Keith and I had started on it. Um, we had, I don't know, nine songs written all together, and then we lost him right in the middle of recording that album. And I'll just say he committed suicide. He, he yeah. had other things that I wasn't aware of, health issues, home things, all kinds of things that were bothering him, and he just couldn't uh, hold on for some reason. I didn't know this because I was sort of his happy place. We were, you know, talking on my phone, writing almost every night for a while. Um, it was really a shock. It took me two years. His son and the record company says, you really should finish this up and put it out. That's when we spoke last time. The album was called The Rules of Change. Hmm. I just did it because my love for Keith and we had the material and I wanted to show that Keith Emerson did not lose his creativity or his playing anything. He still was doing great stuff and it got a great reception. Better than anybody expected. So the record company called me a year a little bit ago and said, you need to do a follow-up. And I said, I only have one song left that Keith and I wrote together. It's nine minutes long. That's why it didn't go on the last album. It was too long. Mm-hmm. I barely remember if it was really good or not. And they really bugged me. And then, of course, Aaron Emerson, his son, said, yeah, you ought to probably do this. Why not? So I wrote seven songs that I thought were worthy of a three-album that Keith would have liked to have worked on. And once I got those where I thought they were good enough, I revisited that song that Keith and I had done that was nine minutes long, and I was surprised to find it was maybe the best of the bunch since the first album had a song called Desi Levita on it. It was tremendous. So I finished it up just to cut it even shorter because I'm going on way too long. No, it's okay. The album came out, and to my surprise, I thought people would say, well, it's a nice follow-up. It's good that he put that last song in there, but the rest of it in it. But what happened now is most people are saying, we like this even better than the rules of change. So that's why I'm speaking to you now. It's really been uh, rewarding for me. Yeah. This is the last three album there'll ever be, 3, 3.2. Um, this has the last song Keith and I ever wrote together. And I'm ending it after this. There's three albums in the three trilogy. And... I hope that answers the question. I'm gonna try to do it fast because it could be a long story. No, that's, that's, when, when you were when you were 
kind of going through and formulating the songs that you did, I mean, do you have to kind of get in a headspace of this is something I would have taken or would have felt comfortable presenting to Keith or, you know, how do you approach that when you're, you're kind of writing for a collaboration yeah. that unfortunately isn't at that point? It, it's interesting because, yes, in a way I say, there's I have another band called Alliance, which is straight rock, which sure. is a guitar player from Boston. And I get in that mode, straight rock mode. And so, yeah, I think, okay, this is going to be a three album. You know, I know the sound, I know the style. I mean, I was there at the beginning. But what's probably more interesting to people is before I started playing with Keith, I had a song called Talking Bound that I wrote. Mm-hmm. And I actually had joined Steve Howe in a band called GTR, and we did Talking Bound. But it was this big fanfare kind of keyboard song, and Steve Howe made it a guitar song. When I left GTR for personal reasons, the singer and I didn't get along. I brought that to Keith, and it was already in the style of Emerson, let's say. It was very Emerson-ish. So since I started as a keyboard player, that Emerson thing was already kind of in my DNA. But playing with him, I say, rehearsing for months in his barn, we had all his equipment with Carl and Keith, and then touring and recording an album, of course, it was like a keyboard lesson for me because... I knew how to play. I'd watch what he did. I went, oh my God, how does he do that? I was mesmerized, but I already had a bit of that in me, kind of. So as we move forward, for me to write songs that fit was almost more natural than it was me thinking, oh, how am I going to make this fit the three sound? Also on the new album, half this album, I knew this would be the last three album. So half this album had to lead toward what I might do next which means there's a lot more guitar in it than there mm. was on the previous album, which is mostly keyboards. Sure. Did you, pre- you prefer, if I recall correctly, you had done quite a bit of the keyboard work on the previous album. Did you do all the keyboard work on this album outside of the, you know, the, the one track? Yes. Um, actually, I had a deal with the Emerson Estate. They did not want me to use Keith's playing or the songs. And I said, well, Keith and I were doing this. We had a record deal, and why would you stop it? And they said, we want Keith remembered as a composer, not a player. And I said, okay, let me get this straight. The guy that threw the Hammond organ on top of him stabbed it with knives, shot little rocket things out of his smoke synthesizer, and you want him remembered as a composer. I said, no other keyboard player has done what he's done performance-wise. He was the performer. He inspired probably a million keyboard players by his antics besides his great playing. He had both going. Sure. No, we want him remembered as a composer. So they wouldn't let me use it. So I said, I'll tell you what, you don't know what I have. You don't know what he played. You don't know what he wrote. I'm just going to put it out. You'll never know. How, how are you going to know? I'm the only one that has it. So they got back to me and said, you can use his writing, but you can't use his playing. In other words, I had to recreate every sound and every performance that he did. I say it's like a Xerox copy machine, you know. Yeah. I I have all the I have the Moog. I have uh, you know the concert grand piano at my studio because I have a state art studio. I'm capable of playing, but let me tell you, some of that stuff that he comes up with and wrote and then played was extremely hard for me. And just to get this album out, I, I never I had to recreate his parts. That that is certainly a labor of of love 
you know, to, to kind of walk into that. And I think if you said to anybody, you know, you need to recreate, even a, a moderate player, you still need to get into, you know, you try to get the inflection and, and you know, it's more than just notes. But to say, well, remember you know, they, Keith no Emerson, they yeah. had no idea that I could actually do that. So <laughs> they were kind of shocked that I actually could do it, you know, and that it was exactly a copy of a carbon copy. I could play it to you side by side. You would not be able to tell the difference. I've only played it for one guy, an interviewer, uh, journalist called Anil Prasad, who actually came to the studio and listened side by side. He goes, I can't believe that one on the right is not Keith playing. I said, well, Neil, I'm capable. I'm no Keith Emerson. I'm just capable of playing. And uh, the state had no idea that I'd be able to do that. So yeah. I got around it in a way. They, they threw down the gauntlet and you rose to the challenge. That's that's commendable. So you the, know, uh, there's a lot of that going on, actually. So we're all yeah. doing that now with this COVID thing, right? We're yeah, yeah. It's, rise it's, to the challenge of trying to live a life, yeah. Is there... You mentioned this was kind of the end of the three trilogy. Is it just because of the name three? I mean, is it that simple as to why you want to stop? Why you wouldn't consider doing, uh, you know, continuing to write in that spirit and in style for yeah. a three point two? Um, that's the poetry of it. You know, that's. That's romantic. There's three albums to the three name, even though the second two are 3.2, which were named that because it was just Keith and I doing it, the two of us. It right. wasn't Carl involved. But that's actually not the, the main reason. The main reason is that I don't feel I can genuinely put out a three album without Keith Emerson. Mm -hmm. And even though there's only one piece of music on this album, it's nine minutes long. It's a huge, great Emerson piece of music. Right. And I felt it was the right way. The song is called Never, and it will never happen again. And it is that good of a piece of musical. It needs to end there. Um, yeah. And plus, I have nothing else that Keith and I wrote together. I want this to be genuinely... Be, yeah. Did I say genuinely? <laughs> um, our work together, even though it's only that one song, the rest of it... You know, on the very first album, I wrote two or three songs by myself also. That I brought to the band we did so it's not odd for a 3.2 album right. to have songs written just by me but yeah there's nothing more of this band and it just needs to be finished at this point and that that's what the, to listen to you talk I can think of a, a hundred counter examples of bands that would continue to bleed whatever they could out of, of a name in that yeah. case and it's kind yeah. of refreshing to hear you know, I think the the integrity of which you speak of, you know, this is, you know, a, a continuation of the work that you did with Keith, with even, you know, to agree with Carl, and the, and the legacy of the band. That's done. It's time to move on, um, you know, and and keep, you know, what what the consumer is getting to have that level of integrity. That's commendable. Um, well, it's a place and time too, and. It was the greatest time of my life. Keith Emerson did more for me without him even knowing it than any musician. I'll give you a quick example. The Tubes, you know, the Tubes are white punks on dope and a yep. few songs that they had. Uh, She's Beauty. Okay. Yep. They're, they're from this area. And the keyboard player I know, Dave Med, um, 
is a, also a contractor who got a piece of metal in his elbow, went to his heart. He almost died. He called me a couple days after they revived him and we're getting him back on fluids and all that and says, Robert, if this is a Monday, mind you, we were supposed to play Friday in New York, Niagara Falls. He goes, you got to do the gig for me. I said, Dave, I... I, on keyboards? Yeah, you got to do it. It's a computerized rig. You're the only one that can understand it because you work Pro Tools and all that. I thought, Dave, I can't do it. You're giving me four days, one day to fly to learn the tubes set, which is really hard. They're an odd band, weird stuff. He goes, you got to do it. I said, are you getting better? He goes, yeah, doctor says I'm doing good. I said, I'll come to the hospital tomorrow and check on you. So I go Tuesday to the hospital. A side note, I brought my electric carving knife I use at Thanksgiving on the turkey. And I put her under my coat, and I brought her in in case uh, I needed to cheer him up. <laughs> and I said, Dave, you look good. He goes, oh, man, you got to do this kick. I'm not feeling good. I pulled the knife out. I said, I think I can fix that. Right? <laughs> of course, he's laughing. But he goes, no, man, I'm really weak. And the doctor says, I'm not going to be out of here till next week. He goes, I sincerely almost died. I said, oh, man. I said, okay, have the keyboards delivered to the studio. I'll see what I can do. They showed up later on Tuesday. Um incredibly complex because each keyboard is divided into three sections and you have three keyboards so there'd be there's a thing in Mondo Bondage where the, the choir goes ah that'd be a low note in this section then there's a piano in the solo which in the middle then there's some synthesizer stuff which on the top and all the keyboards have that so it wasn't like I was just playing one keyboard I'm freaking out and Dave I called him and said, I can't do this it's too complicated you gotta do it nobody else can do it now we're at Wednesday right when I called him Wednesday night, Roger Steen calls me, the guitar player for the Tubes, and says, I hear you're filling in Friday. And I could tell he wasn't happy about it. And I said, yeah, Dave asked me to. He goes, okay, well, I'll come by tomorrow. We'll rehearse. And I said, Roger, I've worked all night. I'm working all day. I have to get on a plane Friday morning. This is my last day. If we rehearse and you tell me anything different than what I'm doing, I'll, it, it'll go out of my computer memory bank. It'll be gone, right? I yeah. Just, I got to do this the way I, I see fit. He goes, well, I have more control of the music than that. I'm musical director of the band. I said, Roger, now here's the, the the end of the story. I said, I played with Keith Emerson. I can handle it. He goes, okay. Good enough. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean. amazing qualification because Keith was so respected and was just the best there ever was. And I just had to mention his name. And they said, okay. And they were not happy all the way up to the sound check at its place in Niagara Falls. They barely talked to me, and the middle of the second or the end of the second song, both Fee, the singer, and Roger looked around, and gave me a thumbs up, and I thought, "Thank you, Keith Emerson." Yeah, I mean that that is that is kind of like having a, a, the get out of jail card on your on your uh, monopoly of life <laughs> when you're play, playing. With. That's exactly it. <laughs> you know, when, when you that's think, a good one. I like that. <laughs> when you think of uh, you know in the the kind of pantheon of rock keyboardists I mean, very very few names make it to that you know even in the same sentence with Keith so I mean, to um, to get that stamp and then to go through I mean you, th- you know the, the work of the study that it must have taken to play his parts you know to that level is is nothing short of amazing and that's one of several instruments you play you know I, you, you know you know, got a hell of a singing voice a guitar bass I mean you you know, and and I think that might you know that speaks to the reason why you know this long into your career now you're still making relevant amazing music, um, you know 
where a lot of you know you look at the the people that were making albums in the late 80s who you know kind of fizzled out you know band reasons or whatever are doing something else right now you know where you're still there's something something about the longevity and you know being I was always kind of a medium level kind of guy I never went for the big pop stardom kind of thing Mm -hmm. I liked playing real music and playing you know I'll play a hundred seat club or a ten thousand seat place doesn't matter to me every one of those people has let me have a career in music but when you're too big in the 80s, let's say, I think you kind of burn out ideal-wise. It, it seems to me that they, maybe too much money, too much being too comfortable. Yeah. And, of course, with me, I was raised by musical parents. My mom and dad had a, a big band, like Frank Sinatra kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then my dad had a music store. So it wasn't like I had a choice. I was sentenced to music. I mean, I was on stage with my mom singing at the band before I was born. And that's, <laughs> but you you learn things from that though you know you you learn different parts of the business it wasn't like you know you know you you went out you had a, a major number one song it all went up your nose and you're you're broke right right you know kind of thing and, and that happened to so many people uh, um, of that era you know the 80s were the 80s you know good 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 and bad you know. It, it was such a different time think, for music. Yeah, what what's also sad about that is I think that's one of the reasons we've lost so many musicians in their what late sixties and seventies. Yeah. I mean, young as far as you know, they should be alive. Music keeps you young, keeps you you healthy, unless you abuse your body and then it takes its toll on the organs. And yeah, um, yeah. It, it's unfortunate. Yeah, even and then before... there's guys like Keith Richards. Even Eric Clapton would be like, hey, and say, those guys, they're okay. You know, Keith Richards is still <laughs> chopping away. Knock on wood, yeah. I, I, I thank, you know, so thankful for, for what, who we do have. But, you know, you look back to even the, the pre-COVID, I mean, it, it seems like a million years ago, but, I mean, we only lost Neil Peart a little over a year ago and, and yeah. nothing to do with COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, and he was a, you know, Relatively speaking, a, a young man, uh, and still, yeah, you know, and it, it so you're right though, with so many musicians that have been lost 15, 20 years earlier than they should have, and, and maybe that is a yeah. direct relations to you know to some of the the lifestyle that, especially in that era and in, in, in the early 90s, before people kind of wised up to um, what it does to your health and also your finances. You know, how many people. You know, went that route and ended up, you know, in hawk to record companies for years beyond the success. Um, that's right. You know, so it's fantastic. No, that, that, that's imposed. You know, that's imposed stress. It's imposed on you. Yeah. I am. I, I shouldn't even sleep. I have so much going on, but it's all self-imposed. So it's not the same kind of stress. I just love everything about my studio and, and speaking to people like you that, that care about music and. Um, touring and writing and I just love it all so it's even though it takes up more time than I actually have in my waking hours it's yeah. self-imposed all the yeah. record company stuff the drugs that's uh, sort of imposed on you but even guys that do drugs they don't realize that you know 20 years down the road they wreck their liver or whatever their heart yeah. you know cocaine I mean a lot of people all of a sudden the heart attack you go how come so young well, yeah yeah and it is and it's 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 nice to hear musicians that that 
you can tell are really motivated by the creative process of music and not just seeking stardom, chart success, record sales. Um, you know, you you do that right thing, and you know, things the work follows you. There's a lot of musicians out there that you know, in talking to, working with over the years, you can see why they're able to continue to keep working due to their attitude, their work ethic. Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 you know, the chops and everything. There, there are a million great musicians out there. You know, I think, you know, yep. you can look at, you know, guitarists. There's a million great guitarists you never heard of because they're they're too difficult to work with. They, you know, don't take it serious enough, whatever. Um, so it's it's great to find people who get it, treat it properly, have respect for, for the work they do, and, and enjoy it. I mean, that's the, you know, the key. You know, this is the joy you get out of it, the joy you bring to listeners. Yeah. I know you play guitar. It's a funny story of Carl Palmer. first time I saw the ELP Legacy, which was Carl and a bass player and a guitar player. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't Paul Bevello, like, I could never say his last name, but he was a great guy, a great player. There was another guy, and I looked at Carl, and I sat there show. I said, wow. ELP music on guitar. I said, that was tremendous. What a great thing you've done. I said, don't lose that guitar player. He's incredible, playing all keys, keyboard parts and guitar. And Carl looked at me and goes, Robert, nobody needs a good guitar player anymore. I go down to the Berkeley School of Music. I give them two songs. I have three, four guys learn them. I pick the one I like. I said, yeah. really? You're not worried about losing this guy? Because no, there's a hundred more at the Berkeley School of Music. Nobody needs a good guitar player but me. And I got what he meant, you know. Yeah. Um, music today is pretty simple, and even the '90s, pretty simple. Next to what it was in the '70s and '80s, even Led Zeppelin's pretty complicated, you know. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and and some of it, I think, you know, comes down to, you know, you've toured, you know, you know, who can you stand to live with, you know, when you're on the road, um, you know, there's True a lot, that, yeah, a lot of guys who, you know, wore out their welcome very quick in a gig. Uh, and it had nothing to do with their playing. You know, I mean, there are cases out there where you can tell a guy doesn't fit musically with a band, but, you know, there's probably a lot of guys who have been left on the, left at a bus terminal because of their attitude. <laughs> you know. Without realizing why. That's yeah. the problem. There's, there's a lot of ego in music. And, I mean, you know, every time you play, you write something, it's like you've, you're showing somebody your baby, and if they don't like it, they're saying your baby's ugly. And it's that yeah. kind of feeling, you know. But some of the guys, the big ego, you can say, you know, they can play something totally trashy, and you go, gee, that's just not good. And they go, well, who are you? What? Yeah. yeah. And they look at you like you're crazy. They can't get out of them. I mean, that's why I also produce a lot of music at the studio. People come to me because I have perspective. With all the things I've done, yeah. I can look at somebody and talk to them. And like I had a girl the other day that... Um, she wanted to do a rock tune, and I figured, oh, she, you know, she was in her fifties. Maybe it'll be like Heart, Pat Benatar. Maybe who knows? You know, it'll be because she's in calm. No, if she came in and she says she likes Ozzy Osbourne, and she wants it to be more like Ozzy, I'm thinking, okay, you know. So I have to sit there, listen to her voice, and figure out how to make her as Ozzy as I can. And all of a sudden, we're into a heavier heart kind of, and she's loving it, right? But. It's you have to work with that that fragile yeah. part of here's my baby. What do you think? Yeah, it is. It's it's, it's certainly bearing your soul. It, it's it's you know I think people often think you know public speaking or, or singing in public is 
challenging to a lot of people, you know, just kind of bearing your soul. Yeah. But songwriting, a lot of the same way, you know, you're basically, here's my thoughts, my feelings, whatever, you know, what do you think? And, and that's intimidating. So, well, Robert, I, I learned think, that. In the, yes. Oh, wait, go ahead. Yeah. That's okay. Well, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. The rules have changed in the last album. A lot of the lyrics came out of me, and I didn't realize how emotional I was over Keith's death. Until yeah. the album was done, I started listening to it. And I was like, whoa, see, I was really uh, in that place, you know. Anyway, that's probably good therapy, you know, You're cheaper than therapy, in some respects. Well, there you go. Yeah. If you're if you're still recording to tape, it may be more expensive than therapy. But if you're just going Pro Tools <laughs> to hard disk, you probably probably breaking even on that. So, Robert, I want to thank you yeah, again. The new album 3.2 uh, is available now. I see it's on your website. You've got. Um, great you've got vinyl versions and signed versions and all that stuff on robertberry.com we'll put a link to that in the show I want to thank you and, and thank you for third impressions well I you know I always love talking to you you have such a nice calm voice you know what you're talking about you make it really easy um, I am so excited I did people like the album enough to, to discuss it and uh that I have a worthy follow-up, so I'm being told. So yeah. I appreciate your help and get the word out there. I am pressing a vinyl of this myself. Did the same thing in the last one. Record company won't do it. The fans of the music want a vinyl. I, I'm only pressing 200. Did 300 last time, and I still have about 80 left. So I'm doing 200. It's a really, really small number. But I have to have it. I want to have a 12-inch cover for the first, yeah. second, and third album on my wall. So yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. I really appreciate your time and um, all you're doing to help me with the music and your insight. Uh, I, I like your your view on uh, a lot of things. You, well, thank you. Very solid. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you on on whatever is next. Yep, next year I got something already that's being stirred up, so we'll see. Well, the door is open. Just say the word, and and we'll be glad to talk. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. Uh, I want to thank Robert Berry, Andrew Ferris. Again, uh, third impression from 3.2 uh, is available on robertberry.com. You hear him mention there are only going to be a very small number of vinyls, so if you're into that, snap that up quick. Uh, you can get signed copies. And also, uh, check out andrewferris.com. Um, you can get the album with some really killer artwork uh, from him. And hope you enjoyed uh, that uh this kind of the writing process that Andrew went through. It's always neat to get inside of the mind of a great songwriter in Andrew. Um, the number of hits that NXS had, obviously you know you're getting a very high quality songwriter, somebody who knows the craft. So I um, appreciate him very much. You can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, um, Snapchat. Iron City Rocks. Check us out on all those. Also, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the songs. Do you like the uh, kind of Americana singer-songwriter type of uh, music? Do you like uh, the progressive rock, maybe a 3.2? Do you like metal? Do you, What do you like? Let us know. Guests you'd be interested to hear from. We'd, we'd love suggestions. So I appreciate your listening. And I would invite you to, to leave a review on iTunes or YouTube or wherever you're listening. Uh, would really help us out. So thank you, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>